Are you struggling to lower your bad LDL cholesterol, even though you may be taking a statin, swapping steaks for salads, and exercising while listening to this podcast? Ask your doctor if Repatha Evolocumab is right for you. With Repatha, you can dramatically reduce bad cholesterol and the risk of another heart attack while enjoying life too, because you're human. And with convenient self-administration, you can take Repatha in the comfort of your own home. Do not take Repatha if you're allergic to it. Repatha can cause serious allergic reactions. Signs include trouble breathing or swallowing, or swelling of the face. Most common side effects include runny nose, sore throat, common cold symptoms, flu or flu-like symptoms, back pain, high blood sugar and redness, pain, or bruising at the injection site. Visit Repatha.com or call 1-844-REPATHA. Talk to your doctor today about Repatha. Tonight on The Readout... I am your warrior, I am your justice, and for those who have been wronged and betrayed, I am your retribution, I am your retribution. Not going to let this happen. Donald Trump at CPAC over the weekend, feeding his followers the dark, conspiracy-driven vision for America that they crave. Just like Fox News, Trump and the rest of the Republican Party would rather fill their followers' brains with lies than tick them off by telling them the truth. Also tonight, Trump pledges to run in 2024, even if he's indicted. It's the strongman principle used by other indicted leaders around the world, where criminal charges actually make them more popular with their base. Plus, how Ron DeSantis is creating just the kind of right-wing safe space that Margie Green was asking for, a space where you're free to let the cruelty fly, while the government will punish anyone you don't agree with, and where the children of white Christians will never have to trouble their delicate, fragile minds learning anything that makes their right-wing parents uncomfortable. And we begin tonight with Jim Jordan's subcommittee on the weaponization of the federal government. Remember that? Jordan vowed that the committee will bring the receipts on the supposed deep state war against Trump and conservatives, complete with a slew of whistleblowers and their damning insider evidence of FBI abuse targeting Republicans while exposing the Justice Department as corruptly plotting to bring down Trump and his allies. Well, turns out he could have put that on a sandwich because it was a bunch of baloney. Last week, a 300-page report from Democrats on the House Judiciary Committee detailed what actually went down when the first three, quote, whistleblowers testified privately before the subcommittee. And spoiler alert, they aren't actually whistleblowers. They were actually just a trio of angry former FBI officials who did not present any actual evidence of wrongdoing at the DOJ or the FBI. Instead, these witnesses each endorsed an alarming series of conspiracy theories related to the January 6th Capitol attack, the COVID vaccine, and the validity of the 2020 election. But the real kicker, the real kicker is that two of these so-called whistleblowers confirmed in their testimony that they received financial support from a Trump ally of, you guessed it, from from a top ally, I should say, of Donald Trump, a guy by the name of Cash Patel. The whole thing turned out to be such a sham. Even Fox News was mocking it. But the sad reality is none of that will probably matter to most Republican voters and Fox viewers. It likely won't change anything for them because the Republicans who were clamoring for this committee in the first place weren't doing so because they were eager to hear facts. They just want to hear the conspiracies that they already believe in repeated back to them. They want their their beliefs, what they believe in their gut. They want to believe that it has some sort of official backing. Even if it's clearly thin and ridiculous and just a patina of legitimacy, they want it. 
And that's not only what Jim Jordan is doing here, but it's what the Republican Party, specifically their disgraced leader, Donald Trump, has been doing for years. He actually understands his people. It's why, if you'll recall, after the 2020 election, Trump wanted the DOJ to just say the election was corrupt. They, they didn't have to prove it. He knew there was no proof because it actually wasn't true. He just needed them to say it. Same thing with Ukraine. The reason Trump was impeached the first time was because he tried to extort President Zelensky to just say that Ukraine was investigating the Bidens. Literally, just muddy the waters and make Biden seem vaguely criminal. Trump understands that his base doesn't care about reality. Reality is often painful and disappointing for them. They care about feelings. They want to hear that their gut feelings are right. They want their beliefs to be validated. And we've seen how they can get when their feelings aren't validated. The leadership of Fox News knows this, too. It's how they wound up in this Dominion lawsuit. The New York Times reported over the weekend about the panic that ensued within the company in the days following the 2020 election, when they were the first network to accurately call the state of Arizona for Joe Biden. Now, typically for news networks, being the first to call a state is seen as a big accomplishment. But Fox didn't see it that way. Peter Baker writes that the Monday after the election, several executives convened a Zoom meeting discussing, quote, how to keep from angering the network's conservative audience again by calling an election for a Democrat before the competition. Maybe, the Fox News mused, the executives mused, they should abandon the sophisticated new election projecting system and revert to the slower, less accurate model. Or maybe they should base calls not solely on numbers, but on how viewers might react. Or maybe they should just delay the calls, even if they were right, to keep the audience in suspense and boost viewership. Fox's Brett Baer and Martha McCallum, the supposed real journalists over there, even suggested that it was not enough to call a state based on numerical calculations, the standard by which networks have made those determinations for generations. Instead, viewer reaction should be considered. In a Trump environment, McCollum said, the game is just very, very different. See, it isn't about accuracy on the right. It isn't about facts. It's about telling people what they want to hear, even if it's false or just straight up dangerous, which begs the question, how do you get to the truth when there is such a large section of the population that not only doesn't care, they don't want it? And joining me now is Mehdi Hassan, host of the Mehdi Hassan Show here on MSNBC and Peacock, and author of the new book, Win Every Argument, The Art of Debating, Persuading, and Public Speaking. And here he is, and I have my copy right here. Mehdi, when I see you next, I have to get a signature for, from you on it. But I, I, would, I, would love for you to, I, would, I would love for you to just get into that, because like, here's the challenge that I see for people who are in the communications business, you know, yeah. on our side, I guess, is that there is a whole wing of the party for whom the dealers and the buyers are now the same people. Right. The Congress members who've been elected already believe in the conspiracy theories. And so they get into Congress to prove the conspiracy theories are true. And when they don't, the people that they serve don't care because they just heard it on TV. And that's all they care about. You wrote a whole book about win every argument. How do you win that argument? Yeah, it's very difficult. I was on a, a call in show earlier today and someone was asking about, you know, what do you do with your MAGA uncle at the Thanksgiving table? How do you argue with them? And I said, you can win the argument on the night. I can give you a bunch of tips as to what facts to bring, what emotions to use, et cetera, et cetera. The problem is we live in this environment where 
Bernie Sanders can go on Fox or Pete Buttigieg can go on Fox and liberals say, what a great argument they made. But yeah. that doesn't cancel out the next five nights of Tucker Hannity just undoing it all. When you have a constant media diet of lies and propaganda, which these people are kind of injecting into their veins every night. And we now know that the hosts, well, we already knew, but now we can prove that the hosts don't even yeah. believe the nonsense they're saying to their viewers. By the way, Joy, you and I are often accused of having contempt or disrespect for the conservative voters. No one has more contempt or disrespect for conservative voters than conservative media personalities, by the way. That's but right. look, how do you stop that? When when you have nonstop lies. I don't have the silver bullet. It's very hard when 20 to 30% of the American public has been cocooned off in a bubble where they are fed misinformation, disinformation by the likes of Ingram and Hannity and Rupert Murdoch, who goes under yeah. oath in a deposition and says, yeah, my hosts endorsed the big lie. Yeah, you know, I don't believe in it. But by the way, according to the reporting, Murdoch hands over secret Democratic Party ads and uh, they haven't aired yet to Jared Kushner. He gives debate strategy to Kushner. In any other news organization, heads would roll. But Fox is not a news organization. So no heads have to roll. There is no controversy. That's why I refuse to call it Fox News. It's Fox. It's yeah. not a journalistic enterprise. Well, I mean, the thing about it is I think the smartest thing that they ever did from the purposes of brand is to put the word news at the end, right? That is the thing that sort of makes the whole game work. And and, and I, I think a lot about, you know, I used to every so often just tune into Rush Limbaugh because I wanted to hear what he was saying. And what he would do is he would give the, 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 the wildest beliefs of his base, which are white working class people for the most part. He would say to them that it's really not the rich. It's really not, you know, um, the system. It's really the blacks. It's the feminazis. It's the women. They're against you. They're trying to hurt you, right? And that was very powerful because it was a feelings message. It didn't need any facts. Exactly. Fox News took that same brand and put the word news at the end of it. Like there, There's almost nothing more powerful than that. And Jim Jordan's doing the same thing. He puts this thing called committee. And committee is saying, look, my yeah. wild belief system has a committee investigating it, it must be real. I, I really don't know how you overcome that when a good third of the popul of the adult population is immersed in that day in and day out. So I would say two things. Number one, uh, we've got to stop legitimizing this stuff as news. And I, I've said for a while, I agree with Senator Elizabeth Warren, the Democrats shouldn't be going on this channel, shouldn't be treating it as a news organization. I was glad to see Joe Biden refuse to do the Super Bowl interview with Brett Bayer, Brett Bayer, straight <laughs> news Brett Bayer, who, according to New York Times reporting on Saturday, was saying in private, hey, let's not just trust the numbers. We need an extra layer when we decide our election result. What's the extra layer? Whether Trump agrees? That that's the straight right. news host. So I'm glad Joe Biden did what Barack Obama and Bill Clinton and others have refused to do. He said, no, I'm not, play I'm not going to play this game. Democrats need to pursue that. We have to make the point that this is a propaganda organization, not a news organization. And the second point I'd make is to jump on what you just said a moment ago, that they have the emotion, right? One of the things I say in the book, chapter two of the book, liberals, progressives, the left, they kind of handed over the emotional battlefield to the right progressives, liberals, Democrats always want to win an argument with one more statistic, one more fact. Just give yeah. me time for one more Pew poll or peer-reviewed paper and I'll change <laughs> people's minds. That's not how it works. Voters don't operate no. on that basis. You've got to get to them emotionally. You've got to win the battle for emotions. You've got to inspire people, rouse people, show some passion. That's what Democrats need to be doing to fight back against the emotional em energy, the demagoguery on the right. 
Yeah. Let me read a little bit from your book. It says here, um, this is from your book. Donald Trump is probably unaware that he's an avid practitioner of a debating method known among philosophers and, rhetoric, and, and rhetorici- rhetoricians as the Gish Gallop. Its aim is simple, to defeat one's opponent by burying them in a torrent of incorrect, irrelevant, or idiotic arguments. As one pithy tweet known as uh, Brandolini's Law put it, the amount of energy needed to refute BS is an order of magnitude bigger than to produce it. The Gish Gallopers' entire strategy rests on exploiting this advantage. By the time you've begun preparing your rebuttal of the Gallopers' first slide, they've rattled off another dozen. They want to trick the audience into believing that the facts and the evidence are on their side. And we have so many examples. I mean, the reality is you're right. It's delivery over depth. It's the proof of verbiosity. It's and it is constant and it is not just in this country. I mean, we have a world now in which you have a Bibi Netanyahu who's literally under indictment and able to get reelected. You have a Vladimir Putin who's just sort of overwhelming his own country with the idea that they're winning a war, that they're literally body bags are coming home like this is a proven method. Trump has it. And I'm concerned that the media falls for it in part because they'll do false equivalency. They'll say, well, DeSantis is completely different from Trump. How? (laughs) He's not. He's just doing it more aggressively. It's such a good point you make about the global angle, because Trump did inspire both a national movement. You have these mini Trumps now, as we saw in the midterms, the Carrie Lakes of this world, all following the same tactic. And you have a global movement. You know, Joy, before I came to MSNBC, I hosted a show on Al Jazeera English. I used to interview politicians from all over the world. And I noticed post-2016, they all started having the same Trumpian tics about fake news, about trying to bury you in nonsense lies in like 60 seconds, 10 lies. And that is the strategy that Trump does. And I say in the book, you've got to be able to pick your battle. Don't try and fight them on every train. Don't try and rebut all hundred lies. I say, don't budge. You know, we've got to ask follow-up questions. We can't let someone come on our show and just say some nonsense and we move on to the next topic. Stick around, push them. Don't budge. Don't move on. Ask a follow-up. And the third point is you've got to call this stuff out. I give it the name, the Gish Gallop. It was invented by a creationist. This idea of overwhelming you with nonsense to Steve Bannon flood the zone with excrement strategy. We have to call it out. We have to nail it down and say, that's what they're doing. It's propaganda. It's not good faith argument. And as you say, we cannot play a both sides game on this. You know what? I, I love that you came on here and I love that you described it because I think you and I have the same philosophy. If somebody comes on and you just let them say sentence after sentence after sentence of lies and then you say, let's move on. You've now given them the power of saying those lies yeah. on television. And we can never forget that saying that on television gives it the imprimatur of reality and truth. Exactly. You do need to in the moment, try to cut it off and try to rebut it. Um, you are the best at doing that. Mehdi Hassan, my friend, here it is. This is the book. Appreciate you. Everybody should get this book. Read every argument. Thank you, Mehdi. Coming up next on The Readout, pop quiz. Could Donald Trump run for president from inside a prison cell? Stay tuned to find out. Today and every day, Planned Parenthood is committed to ensuring that everyone has the information and resources they need to make their own decisions about their bodies including abortion care. Lawmakers who oppose abortion are attacking Planned Parenthood, which means affordable, high-quality, basic health care for more than 2 million people is at stake. The right to control our bodies and get the health care we need has been stolen from us. And now, politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills that would block people from getting the sexual and reproductive care they need. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves health care. It's a human right. That's why they fight every day to push for common-sense policies that protect our right to control our own bodies and against policies that interfere with decisions between patients and their doctor. Planned Parenthood needs your support now more than ever. With supporters like you, we can reclaim our rights, 
and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future. That's PlannedParenthood.org future. At any moment, we could get an announcement from any of the four criminal investigations Donald Trump is facing with the possibility of indictments. The fact that any of these investigations could land Trump in a prison cell isn't deterring him from taking a third shot at the White House. Can you take this moment to assure your donors and your supporters that you're in this race to stay no matter what happens with those investigations, if you are uh, indicted one or more times? I wouldn't even think about leaving. Uh, These are uh, fake stories. It's a disgraceful thing that's going on. There's never the country's never seen anything like it. And yeah, probably it'll enhance my numbers, but it's a very bad thing for America. It's very bad for the country. Yeah. And here's the thing. If he is indicted, Trump actually could legally still be a candidate. There's nothing in the Constitution that says a candidate needs to be a free man. In fact, it sets out only three qualifications to run for president. You need to be a natural born U.S. citizen, at least 35 years old, and have been a U.S. resident for at least 14 years. That's it. If Trump is behind bars, he wouldn't even be the first person to run for president from prison. In 1920, socialist presidential candidate Eugene Debs was in a federal prison on charges related to his protesting against World War I and still won nearly a million votes. In 1992, the perennial presidential candidate Lyndon LaRouche ran while incarcerated for tax evasion and mail fraud. And as recently as 2012, another incarcerated candidate, Keith Judd, was able to get on the ballot in West Virginia's Democratic primary and won 41 percent of the vote against incumbent President Barack Obama. It's also not that unusual on an international level. Strongmen do it all the time. There's a strongman principle that being a convicted felon or being currently under indictment is no impediment to seeking power again. Just ask Russian President Vladimir Putin, former Italian Prime Minister Silvio Berlusconi, or recently re-elected Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. And joining me now is Joyce Vance, former U.S. attorney, professor at the University of Alabama School of Law, and an MSNBC legal analyst. And I just, uh, I, I just, it, it is sort of odd to think about the fact that Donald Trump could literally be indicted and also be in prison and run, but it is actually constitutionally true. Um, do you think that that, <laughs> how does that fact impact, do you think, the way that prosecutors are thinking about it? Because indicting him actually wouldn't stand in the way of him running or winning. Well, it won't. You know, the one exception might be if he were prosecuted in connection with January 6th with the insurrection and the 14th Amendment could conceivably bar him from holding office. But of course, because he's Donald Trump and he doesn't respect the rules and doesn't respect the norms, he would challenge that in court and it would be a mess. And I think that's the point that you're making here, Joy. This is not someone who's running for office to serve the country. This is someone who's running for office to serve, maybe even as a last desperate chance to save himself. Nothing that he does will be animated by a spirit of public service. It will all be animated by his personal need and desire to do as much as he can to get himself out of a bad situation. Well, I mean, and think about it. I mean, he could get back in office, pardon himself. I want to read because, you know, we were just talking with Mehdi Hassan about how a lot of the strongmen behave in similar ways. They do things very similar. We talked a little bit about Netanyahu. This is what he recently did. He was recently reelected. He's under corruption charges. He was indicted uh, after dropping a bid for immunity back in 2020. 
He's now come in and has essentially overtaken the judiciary. They're changing the rules so that and such that he can control the way that the judiciary treats him. Voila. It is a model for the way Trump could operate, right? And he's already got a Supreme Court that is real Trumpy, that they seem to be very much in his camp in a lot of ways. And he's got plenty of his own federal judges to do what he wants. You know, I think it's tough to know which comes first, right? Netanyahu or or Trump, they certainly seem to be very simpatico when it comes to breaking democratic norms and serving their own ends. In some ways, the judiciary has been the one ray of hope here, because after the election in 2020, courts, including the Supreme Court, refused to let Trump succeed in pushing the big lie. But I think you're correct to point out that there, you know, the judiciary is no different than any other entity in government these days. And of course, we saw the troubling case in front of Judge Cannon in South Florida when Trump tried to kneecap the federal investigation into his possession of classified materials. So it's, it's good to be concerned. It's good to be alert. Ultimately, the responsibility here falls on the Republican Party for denouncing the monster that they've created and pointing out how norm-violating Trump is, even if he technically could govern from prison. Uh, The other thing I think I would love for you to comment on this is that we're already seeing sort of this Trump style, you know, sort of filter down uh, into officials in the states. You've got in Georgia these attempts to change the rules to make it so that you can get rid of a prosecutor who's doing something that you politically don't like thinking Fonnie Willis here to make it easier to cashier someone like her. And two of the matters under the consideration per the New York Times would uh, allow lawmakers to punish or remove prosecutors for loosely defined reasons, including something called willful misconduct and would reduce the number of signatures to do a recall. You see similar things going on in Pennsylvania. You see similar things in other states uh, going after, quote unquote, liberal prosecutors. It's frightening to me that the way that Republicans are responding to sort of lawlessness among their ranks is by saying, well, just get rid of the prosecutors so they can't touch us. What's going on in Georgia is particularly troubling. You know, this has been attempted before. After Ahmaud Arbery was killed in South Georgia, was murdered by three white men and prosecutors tried to keep that investigation from coming to pass Georgia legislators proposed a measure that would involve oversight over prosecutors, uh, and it went nowhere. Republicans refused to support it. So now we get to this bill, which looks like a thinly disguised effort to give the legislature some way to appoint a board. Of course, the folks doing the appointing would all be Republicans as a way to rein in Fonnie Willis. And the example that they've come up to justify with it, they're saying it's not about Willis. It's actually about another prosecutor from 2021 who went to prison for corruption. And the response to that is pretty obvious, right? That was 2021. And you're now just two terms later getting this bill up. And the reality is, if they're saying that there was no way to deal with that prosecutor who was corrupt, well, he was dealt with in exactly the right way. He was prosecuted. He went to prison. This looks like the thinnest of excuses to control Willis. And a fun way to try to do Trump's bidding and punish a prosecutor he's afraid of. Joyce Vance, thank you. Much appreciated. Still ahead, a comprehensive look at the ways in which Ron DeSantis is pushing to make Florida a safe space for right-wing conservatives, while everybody else can go pound sand. We'll be right back. When it comes to teaching kids and teens about money, practice makes perfect. That's where Greenlight comes in. With a debit card and money app of their own, 
Kids learn to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest. Parents send instant money transfers, create custom chores, and automate allowance. While kids track their spending, set savings goals, and practice money skills they can use today and for life. Get one month free when you sign up at greenlight.com slash podcast. Hey, everyone. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. Some good news tonight for Marjorie Greene, who last week made this desperate plea. We're fed up with the woke ideology being shoved down our throat, and we're tired of our children being brainwashed into these same ideas. Um, We want our own safe space, and we deserve it. Well, Marge, America's very own Victor Orban, otherwise known as the Republican governor of Florida, and his sycophant legislature are here to help, just in time for the commemoration of the Selma to Montgomery March, which went from a scene of fascist police abuse to a fight over the First Amendment. DeSantis is constructing the safe space of Marjorie and her far-right fellow travelers' dreams. And if he and his legislative friends get their way, Florida won't just be the place where woke goes to die. It will be the place where bigots go to live. Want to emulate your favorite president when he was a landlord and write C for colored on black would-be renters' applications and deny them? How about refusing to hire or sell your home to a black or brown person? Want to scream the N-word or the F-word at your coworkers or yell into a bullhorn at Jewish drivers just for passing by? That one actually happened just a couple of weeks ago. Or maybe you want to fire an employee for getting same-sex married or coming out as trans or having a child out of wedlock. Or what if someone violates your safe space by complaining and saying you discriminated against them or calls you a racist or a bigot? Well, a Florida Republican wants to make it so you can sue them and collect $35,000, at least according to a new bill, HB 991, which would classify an accusation that someone discriminated against another party for race or sex or sexual orientation or gender identity as defamation per se. If the alleged defamer claims that the plaintiff said or what the plaintiff said or did is part of the accuser's religious beliefs, truth would not be a defense. The bill would also apply to the Internet. So now all you bigots can fire away online. And as long as you live in Florida or claim your hateration is part of your Christian beliefs, anyone who bellyates about being taunted by you would have to pay up. Oh, and according to another proposed law. Online bloggers who write about DeSantis or state legislatures will have to register with the state if they're paid so they can be monitored, old Soviet Union style, to make sure they never hurt Ron's depressious feelings. DeSantis, Christopher Rufo, and friends are turning Florida into a hater's paradise, a white supremacist superstate where it's literally illegal to make white Christians feel uncomfortable. Children are barred from learning anything other than glorious factoids about white folks from history or from reading books that make white Christians feel icky or from being in the presence of someone in drag. Sorry, RuPaul. Actually, not sorry. It's the mask-free, modernity-free state of Florida. And don't worry about protests, Fox Newsies. If those pesky Black Lives Matter marchers hit the streets, according to another nifty Florida law, you can hit them with your car and just drive away. No problem. 
And Margie, if you get sick of all those black people finding a way around the anti-voting laws in your way too woke state where they keep electing black and Jewish senators, come to Florida where Ron will just have the blacks arrested for voting. Problem solved. Ron is also fixing all that woke Disney nonsense and restoring it to the wonderland that he remembers as a child and where he and his very own Disney princess got married after singling out Disney for special punishment for saying no to his don't say gay law. Ron now personally controls Disney's board, which includes the book banner co-founder of Moms for Liberty, the head of the Orlando chapter of the Federalist Society, and a pastor who thinks tap water turns people gay. DeSantis thinks they will make Disney World the happiest place on earth again, at least for white Christian nationalists. The gays and blacks, not so much. Again, not sorry. One more thing about this new war on woke defamation bill. It applies to journalists, too, and would clear the way for your favorite Supreme Court majority, led by anti-woke political crusader Sam Alito, to gut the First Amendment and make journalists, even outside Florida, stop reporting anything that makes conservatives mad. I'll explain after the break. The latest salvo from Florida Governor Ron DeSantis in his war on all things woke looks to fulfill one longtime right wing fantasy, stripping away press freedoms with repercussions that would extend far beyond the not so free state of Florida through a pair of new bills. One would require bloggers who write about elected officials to register with the state like lobbyists and disclose payments or be subject to fines. And another, HB 991, would make it easier to sue for defamation, lowering the bar for suing, not just for journalists, but anyone potentially making supposedly defamatory statements, including over social media. Ron DeSantis has made no effort to hide his true intentions. Last month, he said he wants to make it easier to sue media outlets, taking aim at overturning the landmark 1964 New York Times Company versus Sullivan Supreme Court decision. That case centered around a full-page ad in the paper from civil rights groups fundraising for Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s legal defense in 1960, describing a wave of terror in police actions across the South. Most of the charges were accurate, but there were some factual errors. L.B. Sullivan, the Montgomery, Alabama public safety commissioner who oversaw the local police, sued for libel, claiming it implied him. And he won. But the Supreme Court justices overturned the lower court, finding that public officials must show that what was said was done with actual malice. It's also the Supreme Court precedent that Fox News, by the way, is using to defend itself against voting machine company Dominion's $1.6 billion defamation lawsuit. How's that? For irony. Joining me now is State Representative Fentrice Driscoll of Florida, who is the uh, leader of the Democratic opposition in the State House, and Bobby Block, Robert Bobby Block, journalist and executive director of the Florida First Amendment Foundation. Bobby, I do want to go with you first. This bill, um, HB 991, I want to read a little bit about this and its actual malice uh, clause. A public figure does not need to show actual malice to prevail in a defamation cause of action when the allegation does not relate to the reason for his or her public status. This shall infer actual malice for purposes of a defamation action when the defamatory action is fabricated by the defendant or is the product or his or her imagination or is based wholly on an unverified anonymous report. In, in other words, the way I'm reading that is that if, let's say, a news organization was was uh, reporting on a public official who used a slur, they could be sued for defamation. They could be sued for defamation if they reported, it seems to me, anything that was negative about 
Ron DeSantis or a member of the state legislature. Am I reading that wrong? There's a lot of provisions. It's very difficult to take a single provision out of this piece of legislation. And it it interlocks in a way. There are some other provisions in there whereby it doesn't even have to be false because it revives another legal provision. uh, maneuver, which has already been uh, overruled by the Florida Supreme Court, but they're reintroducing and it's called a false light tort, which means you could write something about a public official that is 100% true. But if the official deems that the intent of the article was to make him look bad, him or her look bad, then that would be enough for defamation. The section that you're referring to basically attempts to turn uh, New York Times v. Sullivan on its head. So if I write an article, say, about a, um, a, let's say, the commissioner of agriculture, and I say he never graduated high school, and that could be absolutely true, but it has nothing to do with his official job as a commissioner, he could sue on the basis of that. Or if I say something that's false, um, that I was a result of an honest mistake, like in the New York Times v. Sullivan case, Right, that also could be grounds for defamation. And last but not least, if you quote an anonymous source, according to this legislation, if it becomes law, and you are not willing to identify the source in a trial, then under this provision of this law, it automatically has to be presumed to be false and therefore is grounds for defamation. You know, uh, Minority Leader Driscoll, I mean, you are an attorney. I mean, this sounds to me like they are attempting to chill any reporting on the governor or on Republican state legislatures that would embarrass them in any way. So if they did something um, or if anyone in the state that is a Republican did something that would be just considered discriminatory or uh, racist or bigoted, they could be they could sue. And I'm going to add to that another thing that the administration is doing right now, that the DeSantis administration is doing. The Department of Management Services has changed the rules for groups or individuals who want to reserve space inside the Capitol. The changes require organizations seeking to reserve areas to make their requests through specific administration officials or legislative leaders that require that they line up with the mission of the state. That means no protests. So you have to agree with Ron DeSantis's beliefs and his policies, or you can't have a permit to be in the Capitol for an event. That's very, um, I don't know, you could do that in Havana and it would fit right in. Right. You know, and yes, Leader Fentress Driscoll here. Joy, this is why we appreciate you so much because you are telling the truth of what is happening in Florida. And I do believe that this is of national interest because if people don't want Florida's present day reality to become their future, folks need to know what Ron DeSantis is doing here because he does intend to run for president in 2024. At least all signs indicate that. And this bill, frankly, it feels like a recycled Trump rant turned into a bill, right? Because the goal is to expose media companies and critics to so much liability that it chokes out strong journalists journalism of any any dissent. And as a lawyer and an elected official, I was frankly speechless when I read this bill. It will do, do more to damage the freedom of speech and the free press that has been done in nearly 250 years of American history. And it takes away the shield media has used against public figures for years, taking away their ability to hold the powerful accountable. And, and you know, uh, 
Bobby Block, you know, there's there's this media tick where they try to say that Trump and DeSantis are completely different and that DeSantis is some sort of moderate. Um, but, you know, the, the post that you wrote on your website, the First Amendment Foundation, talks about a world in which you know, the only thing that reporters could report on are, are dogs and cats and puppies because they're too afraid to report on anything else. Flor- Trump and DeSantis have both said that they would like to be able to sue media outlets that report things that are true about them that they don't like. And I just want to go through some of these bills. They've got this, you know, they, they've taken over Disney. They have Don't Say Gay, which is the state telling teachers what they can say in class. You have the Stop Woke Act that says you can't make anyone feel uncomfortable, and they mean white Americans uncomfortable. They have restrictions on library materials. They're telling people what they can read. They're telling people that they can't protest. They're saying that they cannot protest or that you can attack protesters with your car. It feels like everything is consolidating around making sure that no one can criticize the current governor ahead of his running for president. It's more than just the governor. What what the what the, these bills do when you take them into their whole account is it's death to public discourse. It it it, it you can't be in any media and without feeling the sting of this potential legislation, new media, social media, conservative and Christian media are not exempt from this. It's, it's an attempt. Anyone who would sit down in front of a microphone or in front of a TV screen and try to say something will have to think very carefully before they do. I, I just need my profession. I need the, the the journalists that are saying benign things about this governor to understand that this is not trading in Trump for some moderate or some Ronald Reagan like figure. It's trading in Trump for somebody who is functionally doing the things Trump could only dream of in terms of essentially ending free speech and having government literally control speech and make sure that the speech only aligns with his particular racial and religious views. That ain't freedom. Florida State Representative Fentrice Driscoll, who's the minority leader in the state house, and Robert Block. Thank you both very much. Up next, uh, as we're staying with the state of Florida a little longer. Thank you. As Florida's professors, uh, one Florida's professor's tireless crusade to make sure that black history is not entirely wiped out, wiped off the map in the state. We're back in a second. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis may be doing everything he can to prevent black history from being taught, but Floridians are fighting back. Veteran Florida college history professor Marvin Dunn has been leading bus tours of sites of past racial violence in the state. And last weekend, MSNBC's Tremaine Lee rode along. The tour started at the Greenwood Cemetery in Orlando, where Julie Perry is buried. He was, or July Perry, sorry, is buried. He was lynched in 1920 after assisting a friend who tried to vote. Part of the Oki Oki massacre that killed dozens and drove almost every black resident from the town. Tremaine talked to educator and mother uh, educator, mother Ginger Clark, about the importance of hearing this story. The story about July Perry, um, to know that back then in the 1920s, um, there were prosperous African-Americans that were living and prospering and doing their thing, it, it shows that we as a people, we thrive from being able to work and support ourselves. And we've always been successful, but those stories are held or hidden from us. 
The tour also visited Live Oak, where 15-year-old Willie James Howard was forced by white men to jump into the water with his hands and feet tied as his father watched. That story hit home for 15-year-old student Marcus Green. At 15, you're the same age that boy was when he was killed. That has to sit with you in some deep way that you are literally his same age. Most definitely. When I touched his, his tombstone, um, or his, his headstone, I, I really felt a sense of serenity and gratitude, you know? It's, that could have been me. The tour concluded in and around Rosewood, the site of the 1923 massacre that decimated the town and possibly killed hundreds. Tremaine Lee joins me now. He's an MSNBC correspondent, host of the Inter-America podcast, and my friend, uh, Tremaine, uh, I'm so jealous you got to go on that tour. I've been wanting to go on the Marvin Dunn tour uh, myself. So tell me about the tour um, and the folks you spoke with. Joy, you really did miss out on uh, the energy of the moment. You're familiar with Mr. Dunn at 82 years old. uh, This man is vibrant and strong and full of energy. And I said, Mr. Dunn, you're 82 years old. You put in a lot of work. You can go sit down. He said, listen, I don't have time to sit down. The future is at stake. So on these tours, he brings out uh, young students, high school students, college students, but also their families. And that was central to to that energy there. It was multi-generations of young people, young black people especially, um, who were taking this journey throughout the to uncover those dark, sometimes ugly, but also hidden um, pieces of our history um, that have shaped us in so many ways. And and Mr. Woke said, listen, if there is a woke mob in Florida, sign me up. I'm the leader, (laughs) right? This 83-year-old man said, if being woke means um, sticking to the unvarnished truth and passing these uh, these sparks to the next generation uh, to get them going and get them focused on, um, you know, the the ugly parts of America, but also the parts that need tinkering and that they're in a position to change that, then, then sign me up. Uh, and again, talking to, to young people on that bus, families on those on, on that tour. Um, I spoke to one woman, as you, you played a, a clip from uh, Ms. Clark in the beginning, um, who talks mm-hmm. specifically about this idea of, of handing down the torch, passing um, those gems from the past in order to make a future. Let's, let's take a listen. I am a mother of two boys, and I want them to know that Every step of the way, somebody paved, somebody surrendered, somebody gave up something for what they have today. For me, as a a woman of color, um, and to be where I am today, it also reminds me of what I have to do to propel and make sure that these stories are told and these these stories are known. Joy, we talk about, um, and it's almost cliche that we, you know, we stand on on broad shoulders and, and we drink from wells that we did not dig. And there's so much of that in, in regular folks, community people. Um, we're trying to make sure uh, that uh, what Ron DeSantis, is, Governor DeSantis, is trying to do: bury, hide, quiet, mute, chill, um, will not be chilled at all. You know, there's such a weakness. Uh, in, 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 a, in, a, in a desperation to bury history and say that it is illegal to learn. You know, I think about the fact that it, the reason it was illegal for enslaved people to read is that they didn't want them to know they had a past or a future, right? They didn't want them to be able to understand that there was a world outside of that field. And it seems to me that DeSantis, who gets a huge pass from the media, I'm sorry, but he does, is trying to do the same thing out of a fear and a weakness. It doesn't seem like a position of strength that he's in. Marvin Dunn is strong. Marvin Dunn is, is certainly strong. And as we've heard time and again, a, a people with no history is inert. 
They're powerless. And, and so the, the, for black folks in this community, especially, and, and a number of allies, Mr. Dunn is always, um, he's quick to point out that there were always white allies in the midst of all the white supremacist violence that black people have faced. Um, but not only does it speak to a kind of weakness, but how we see ourselves as Americans, a, a proud, strong country um, should be willing to embrace every single part of itself, not just the, the good patriotic, you know, those parts of it, but also the dirty parts that we could build on and grow from. And, and fortunately for us as Americans, whether you're a journalist or a college student or a historian, there are people who are, again, shining light in very dark places. But again, as, as we know, a great country, a country um, that's proud of who it is and who it hopes to be, um, should have no fear in addressing those, you know, really ugly parts of ourselves, too. Well, it, it, it says something, I think, about the Christopher Rufos and Ron DeSantis's of the world, that when they look at the ugly history of the country and these right-wingers like the Moms for Liberty, they don't assume that their children will identify with the heroes that were uh, attempting to abolish slavery, the abolitionists and the white allies of that time. They just assume their kids will feel guilty because they think they're going to identify with the enslavers and the bad guys. That ain't saying something about history. That's saying something about y'all. You maybe want to think about that. Tremaine Lee, thank you for all that you do. I appreciate you. Please be sure to check out Tremaine's special podcast miniseries, Into America Presents Street Disciples, Politics, Power, and the Rise of Hip Hop. And that is tonight's readout. When it comes to teaching kids and teens about money, practice makes perfect. That's where Greenlight comes in. With a debit card and money app of their own, Kids learn to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest. Parents send instant money transfers, create custom chores, and automate allowance, while kids track their spending, set savings goals, and practice money skills they can use today and for life. Get one month free when you sign up at greenlight.com slash podcast.